The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Greetings, scribes. I want to kick this show off with some news I'm very excited to share. You can finally subscribe to the Writer Files Extra email newsletter to have this podcast delivered straight to your inbox whenever there's a new show. And not only that, I'll also be personally sending you added insights, giving you the first shot to get your hands on some Writer Files merch like t-shirts or coffee mugs for your favorite writer and links to curated collections of shows like the publishing series and the writer's brain. And that's just the beginning. You can sign up today at writerfiles.fm. It's that simple. Just type writerfiles.fm into your web browser. And there's also a link in the show notes. You'll find the Writer Files Extra sign-up form, a link to listen to the show, and more about my indie podcast production company, New Media Dojo. But on a more serious note, I'd also like to ask for your support to help keep the show running. As you may have noticed, episodes haven't been publishing weekly. That's not for a lack of author interest or popularity. It's simply a lack of resources and time. I'm the sole host and producer of this show, and it's been a labor of love these last few years. My dream would be to work on this show full time, but that will require the generosity of listeners like you. So when you pop over to writerfiles.fm to sign up for their free newsletter, you'll see a donate button where you can securely support the show through PayPal. Every donation, no matter the size, makes a big difference. If I provide content that is valuable to you in any way, please consider a one-time or small monthly donation. With your help, I can get the show back to publishing weekly. I've got a lot more to share with you, and there's even a survey you can take at writerfiles.fm for authors interested in starting their own podcasts. If you'd like the newsletter, to support the show or any of the other things I mentioned, do me a solid and go to writerfiles.fm right now. Thank you, and I appreciate you. A lot of people might have, you know, five or six different books in their drawer before they go out with that one that made it. I think I just, I had my premise all along. But that book itself changed massively and was rewritten so many different times. So I think it just it was my university, you know. But it's been different with every book. I quickly learned that each book has new issues. Welcome back to the Writer Files. I'm your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you wisdom, words, and wherewithal per usual. Award-winning New York Times best-selling psychological thriller writer Shabby Stevens spoke to me about her life as a recluse 
dreaming in prose, scaring the king in her latest Dark Roads. Chevy's debut novel, Still Missing, went on to become a New York Times bestseller and winner of the International Thriller Writers Award for Best First Novel, 2010. Her popular books, including Those Girls, which Stephen King called incredibly scary and suspenseful, have been published in more than 30 countries and optioned for film. Her seventh novel, the standalone thriller Dark Roads, has been described as an instant classic by number one New York Times bestselling author C.J. Box, and author Gillian Flynn has called Chevy's work both gripping and unforgettable. In this file, Chevy and I discussed why writers need to be protective of their daydreaming time, the romanticization of the writing life, tossing rough drafts in the trash, the real-life highway of tears and the legacy of broken promises, how to write a proper prologue, your first 50 pages, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. If you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published. And please drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other writers find us. All right, we're back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by bestselling author Chevy Stevens has taken some time out of her busy schedule to wrap with us. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. I've been a fan for a long time. Well, I am honored uh, in more ways than one to be able to pick your brain about writing and your latest novel. Yeah, so how's it going over there? Are you kind of a um, a recluse or uh, <laughs> do you <laughs> consider yourself more social? Is that, are you asking that because I'm Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because I live on an island? <laughs> <laughs> Some of some of the things I've read about you make you sound like, out to be like this reclusive, uh, you know, thriller writer That's living right. on an island. It's not wrong, but I just never really, <laughs> just never had anybody sum it up. So like, so like, are you and Salinger like friends? Or <laughs> um, I am pretty introverted, but I, I do live on Vancouver Island, which is actually pretty heavy, heavily populated. There's over a million mm-hmm. people on our island, but I. I'm not particularly highly social. No, I like <laughs> online social. I just don't really love leaving my house a lot if I don't have to. And no. I'm not sure where that came from. I think I was uh, more social when I was younger, but I have a daughter and, you know, you get tired a lot, but, um, and also <laughs> conferences and stuff are far away, but I've always tended to just prefer one-on-one or smaller group connections anyways. But yeah, I've become sort of antisocial in my later years. So yeah. Like to live in my own little dream world, I think. Yeah, sure. I mean, being a writer is kind of reclusive as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, just because it's a uh, <laughs> it's a solo sport. Yeah, and of course, um, it requires a great amount of focus and and it requires. I I feel like um, I try to explain to my husband sometimes. Like it's like for me to have that kind of level focus concentration, it takes a lot of bandwidth. I think for me to have to go into that deep space. And so if I'm, if I only have so much to go to family and to other things, your daily life, there's Mm. only, I have to protect what I need for the writing. And so if I do something social, like even if it's a lunch with a friend, that's almost a lost writing day for me. It's like, I really don't have a lot extra. So I've learned that I have to be very protective of that time because it sure doesn't take much for me to throw me off, you know? 
Yeah. And I've heard this before, being protective of your time is very important as a writer. Yeah. You've got to say no to a lot of things that you, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that mere mortals don't have to say no to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so busy. <laughs> um, but the other thing is like, it's not always just writing is not always just time at your computer. I think it's about being that introspective, dreamy sort of person who lives in their thoughts a lot. And because that's where we get our ideas, that's where we'll reflect on what we wrote that day. It's like we have to be, personally, I have to be in that state of thinking quite a bit. Yeah. The outside world, also, I I feel like uh, quite a few of us are probably, I mean, this isn't, I've been to conferences, so I know there are extroverted writers. I just don't (laughs) happen to be one of them. But if I'm an Anybody who's pretty sensitive when we're, when I'm out or around interact with a lot of people, um, I'm really tired after. I, like it yeah. takes a lot from me. I enjoy it. This isn't to be said that like every time I interact with somebody, I'm like, oh god, I like <laughs> it a lot, but then I'm done. You know, I'm really done. So. <laughs> right. And then if you're if you're at a conference, I'm sure that there are like those energy vampires that uh, really yes. require a lot of your time because they're like super fans or. You know, they really want to know. I think the secret. I've, most of the conferences I've been at have been with other writers, and it wasn't until I went to one with a really good friend. We've been friends for a while that I realized we had very different conference styles. Until we were at a st- at a conference, my style was to lurk at the back of the rooms, <laughs> interact when I needed to, watch the panels. I don't particularly enjoy being on a panel, um, not because I resent it. I just. I just, I don't know. I don't think I love that much focus on me. Um, So I like being in the back. I like learning. And then I would retreat every possible chance to my hotel room to what binge Netflix or just have quiet time. Now, this is also because I have a child at home. So frankly, that was like a holiday. And then my friend was happy to network and network and network. And it's like, let's go to this event, this event, so-and-so's there. And I'm like, oh God, no, please. So I've learned um, for me, conferences are a learning experience. Um, I enjoy that. But, you know, there's a lot of industry talk at conferences. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think I prefer to live in a bubble. Um, It's really easy. (laughs) It it can become, I mean, they're obviously, you make great friends and you do, you know, learn a lot. And they are important for many reasons. But depending on your personality, I find it's pretty easy to then start comparing yourself to the biggies, you know, Mm. to see their giant and then go, oh, and feel whatever you might be feeling. So, I just, um, I don't know. I like my bubble. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the latest and and then get into your process a little bit more. Sure. But um, I I find your story to be pretty inspiring. And of course, a lot of writers, uh, I'm sure, looking at your bio are thinking, wow, she burst onto the scene in 2008 or, you know, 2010. Yeah, 2010 was it was published. Right. And of course, there's no such thing as bursting onto the scene. You, no. you had to you had to work very hard. Yeah, I'm imagining that uh, it didn't feel like you burst onto the scene. So talk a little bit about that, and kind of again, you know, just sure. um, the process to my first book. Yeah, the pro- the process of breaking through and breaking out, and when and you know that aha moment you had when you decided, okay, I'm an, I'm actually gonna go for this mm-hmm. thing, and sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this a reality. First, I'm just gonna I'm gonna notice the Canadian and the Americanism of us. You just said process, and I said process. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Later, we'll have some pasta and some pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was a dreamy kind of kid, you know, like most writers. I read a lot when I was a kid and I would say I wanted to be a writer and I wrote in school, but it really wasn't my uh, predominant uh, career path. I thought it was going to be an artist. That was 
what I wanted to go to school for, but I ended up dropping out and got into business for years. And, you know, I never, I don't know if in Canada going to college or university is such a big thing. It is here, but it's, we don't have, I don't think we have the same college experience. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't, and also we didn't have a lot of money in our family and I didn't do student loans. So I just started working and then, you know, you get a car and you get a house and you, it gets harder to step away from all of that. And I was a real estate agent, but always in the back of my mind, I'd be like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. I just, I think I just didn't have anything to write about. I would daydream about writing uh, my grandfather. He wrote a book about his escape from Russia. He stole a plane. Um, he was in the military. I always think that's one place I probably shouldn't go back for a signing. You know, they'd be like, yo, you, we got a plane to talk about. Oh, no. <laughs> like, um, so I would daydream about it, but it just never really happened. And then I was in real estate and I wasn't happy and. I was going through a breakup and I, I went to like, I live in an Island, but there's a lot of islands around our Island and a friend lent me his place over there. And I stayed there for 10 days with my dog and, you know, we ate, I ate brie and drank wine and, you know, typed as it was raining softly on the roof. I was typing on this old keyboard. And I'm like, yeah, this, this is the life. I mean, it was absolutely the romanticized version of what I thought a writer would be. Mm-hmm. And then it came back and my basement was flooded and real life intruded. Um, <laughs> but after that, after it, I feel like I kind of put it out into the universe, you know, and then after that, it was like every movie I saw, there were writers, every book I saw was writers. And I'm like, wow, this is trippy. And then I, I started dreaming in prose, which is the weirdest thing. Like I would mm. dream and I could see paper and I'd see words landing on the paper as if it was typing into the paper. And they'd be sent, like, they'd be fully, like, sentences from a book. And I'm like, what the heck? And, uh, but I still didn't really have anything. And then um, I started doing it. I was a real estate agent. So I was doing open houses. And I was in an empty house. And that was a really, you know, they're creepy. This was a creepy house, actually. It had a bad energy. You know how some men, it could be that on one of the, one of the drywall sheets downstairs, it was actually written Budroom Number One. So, um, it was a former grow up. I learned after it was pretty obvious. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So it just had this really bad energy. And, um, I started having this, like, what would happen if, you know, and I always to try to be careful. I would have my cell phone with me and I'd be thinking, you know, if anything happened, I, I would usually stay by the door. If somebody came in, I wouldn't, well, women actually, we have to really be careful. These open houses. Sure. There has been cases. Um, so I would keep my cell phone open. I wouldn't go first into a room. I would let that person go first. I wouldn't mm-hmm. go into any smaller areas. But, you know, it was just started with a, what if I didn't come home? Who would notice? Well, who would take care of my dog? Well, what would my family think? And then that voice just sort of started humming around in my head for a long time. And, you know, you build a story off of that, the premise. And um, I think I had a journal at home and I started just the Annie, my main character, she was named after my dog. Um, so I was probably about early thirties at that time. The voice came to me and it was just like, I could hear her telling the story to a psychologist and she was really mad and, um, rightfully so. And so I ended up just every day I, I wrote to my aunt and I said, I think it's supposed to be a writer. And she's like, it's never too late. And every day I would just write five pages a day. And it, my first draft, I still have it. It's in a binder. It hmm. uh, was an entire monologue. There was seriously not even one uh, quotation mark in the entire thing. And I didn't know about (laughs) a paragraph. What's a paragraph? So I just wrote and it took six months. And then I realized I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I hired 
I think I can't remember what point I hired a freelance editor, but I started going to conferences. I, I hired a freelance editor. Uh, I think it was only within a year or six. I'm not exactly sure when, but I, I sold my house and I moved back to a rental house that I had and I lived on savings for two years and I wrote, which, you know, I would tell anybody right now, like, you gotta be really careful doing that. It's, it's amazing Mm -hmm. that that actually worked out for me. But I think at that point I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. I wasn't married. I didn't have a child. These aren't things that I would do now. I had a significant amount of equity and I was in my early thirties. So I I think I kind of knew that even if I screwed up, I could recover from it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Then there was the other part of me that really thought, wow, everyone I know knows I just quit my job to write a book. So if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to tell them it's doing really well, like overseas, (laughs) like I really cornered cornered that Eastern European market, but (laughs) Canada just wasn't ready for it. So I worked on that for a long time. And then um, it ended up, of course, taking me a lot longer than you ever think it's going to. In my delusional mind, I thought I was going to be on the bestseller list in like a year or something insane, but. It took me approximately three years to write that book. Hmm. I found an agent through my freelance editor. So that was my process. They knew each other. And she said to him, hey, I have this book. I think, you know, you should take a look at it. He read it. We talked. Um, That's Mel Berger with William Morris. He was great. He said, you need to rewrite a bit. I did. Um, And then he shopped it around and I got a three book contract. And I've been with St. Martin's Press ever since. So that's my story. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, that's that's a pretty. uh... So. So if you look at that, like I started that book approximately in 2005, I think, Mm -hmm. and it was published in 2010. Um, Of course, it was like more than a year and a half lag time from when my editor said, yeah, we're done to when it actually hit the market too. So it was a really big chunk of time there. And I think a lot of people might have, you know, five or six different books in their drawer before they go out with that one that made it. Mm -hmm. I think I just, I had my premise all along. But that book itself changed massively and was rewritten so many different times. So I think it just it was my university, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's been different with every book. I quickly learned that each book has new issues. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. 
Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, let's talk about, I mean, your uh, latest is Dark Roads. Yes. And it's the seventh. Uh, yes. And it is a standalone thriller. Yes. You've done a handful of standalones and you've done a series. Well, the series are actually loosely connected, but they can mm-hmm. still be. They're individual stories. The connection is the narrative device. The t- first two are told to a therapist. And the third one is the therapist story. How, how, how does Dark Roads feel different or similar to work that you've done previously? Uh, I would say it's very on brand for me. I struggled. The reason this one, most of my fans know, took an epically long time to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about four years of work. But yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is I didn't spend four years on this book. I spent two years on books I threw out um, because I knew they weren't right. And my editor knew we weren't right. And I was you know, going back and back to the drawing board. But it's really all about premise. I've learned over and over again, and you think I'd get it, and yet still sometimes I mess up on it. But if you don't have that strong foundation, it really doesn't matter what you put on top of it. So Mm. those ones kept fizzling because they didn't have that uh, real prominent threat you need to make Mm -hmm. a book. And they just didn't feel like me. And honestly, every time I try to like spread out and be like, you know, even if it's just upscale my character, like let's have her as a restaurant owner. No, doesn't work. Unless there's hmm. a pickup truck pulling out in front and picking, you know, it just doesn't, it's just not my thing. So Dark Rose is definitely my brand. It's set in BC. Um, I think my skills as a writer are are definitely there more. It amuses me sometimes when people will say, oh, you know, which different ones are their favorites or because some, those aren't necessarily my favorite anymore. Hmm. Um, Dark Roads, I think I, my character development was a lot stronger in it. I, um, I, tr- I challenged myself more in it. I have a different narrative structure. I did third person for one of the characters. That was new for me. Mm-hmm. But it's set in BC. It's set in uh, blue collar and, you know, vulnerable girls kicking butt. So it's very on brand for me. Mm-hmm. But I did explore things. I'm trying to get away from, although some people will say this is still really dark. I don't find it as dark as some of my other ones. I was experimenting more with different ways of creating fear than it necessarily having to be violence towards women. Um, talk a little bit about the First Nations thread mm-hmm. and not to give anything away, of course. You know, I mean, uh, there's a theme that I picked up just about broken promises. And of course, you know, if we talk about the legacy of the the mistreatment of Native and... and First Nations, yeah. Indigenous, yeah. Indigenous cultures um, by, you know, European settlers or governments. Colonized. But um, yeah, t- I mean, Broken Promises seems to run through a thread through a lot of the different na- narratives, but talk a little bit just about the... It's like broken trust. Like you mm-hmm. see Broken Promises, it's like a betrayal of trust, especially I think as women, when I was writing this, it was really coming out with the Me Too movement too. Mm-hmm. And um the authority of whether it be a gym coach or a police officer or a priest or various people in positions of authority and what, how much more, I don't know if it's more damaging, but I think people are that much more astounded when those people are capable of bad. And what they don't realize is there's good people who get into those fields. And then there's bad people who get into that field because they like the power. Uh, The, yes. So I created Cold Creek Highway is loosely based on 
a highway in BC, which uh, has been since 40, 40 years, I think was the first cases, but it's called the Highway of Tears, which is very mm. well known here. Okay. Um, and I wrestled with whether I wanted to write about that highway because it is such a sensitive subject. And I, I honestly try to stay away from true crime because although we write crime and we write fiction and I listen to podcasts, I never forget that there are real people who have been damaged by this and have had lost family members like this. And it just feels wrong to write it for entertainment, you know? So I created my own, but I wanted to be sensitive to the fact that it is an issue that has predominantly affected the First Nations community, of course, mm-hmm. um, especially when this first began. Racism was more prevalent. These are small towns. There wasn't many cops um, because a lot of these women, women came from low-income fa- areas. They didn't have transportation, so they were hitchhiking. And that led to bringing some very bad people into their lives. And also I think the remoteness, I think this happens in the U.S. It happens in other areas too, where there's long stretches of highway without const- that don't have cameras that aren't policed or, you know, all mm-hmm. those other things, they just lead to um, opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think if you combine those two things with uh, low income, so people being forced to find alternate ways of traveling, and then you get your creeps who aren't too worried about being caught because they're in the middle of nowhere, Um, Then you have small Mm -hmm. town community cops, but with when this first started, of course, weren't comparing notes. And then you also have the reality that at that time, and even now today, it's an ongoing issue. A lot of police or communities saying, well, it doesn't really matter because, or they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, or they're First Nations, so they just don't spend the same amount of uh, effort as they should. So that is still an issue. Yeah, absolutely. The Robert Picton case is another one, if you've ever heard of that. Mm, oh, that's another bad one. So the Highway of Tears and the Robert yeah. Picton case. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It is ch- chilling at times, of course. Uh, congratulations on the work. <laughs> congratulations. Uh, like yeah. on the, uh-huh. <laughs> on the Well, um, it's a very compelling novel. And uh, C.J. Box, of course, number one New York Times bestselling author of Long Range, called it a brilliant, uh, called you a brilliant and unique talent and dark roads. An instant classic. I thought that was a nice, yeah, he's a amazing. nice compliment. For sure. um, and of course, uh, you have some some other uh, big name colleagues that that like to uh, give you shout outs from time to time, including Stephen King, who who's uh, blurbed you a couple yeah, times. Yeah, one on, time on my, it didn't no. blur me; it just tweeted it, <laughs> yeah. and it was like a three year old book. It just knocked me out. Those girls, and all yeah. one day, my phone was just blowing up, and I was like, "What is happening?" Yeah, that was a highlight <laughs> of my moment or my life. Yeah. How do you get Stephen King to call your book incredibly scary? Well, you don't. Here's the thing. I don't think he gives blurbs. He (laughs) That's pretty cool. He just picks. Like he just randomly will read something and he'll either say something about, you know, if he likes a book, he'll say something. So it astounded me. Not it wasn't my newest book. And it was like, how does he even know I exist? Like, so yeah, I pinned those on my Facebook and they will live there to the dying day. And one of my, (laughs) one of my book clubs gave me a cup, um, a cup that says I scared the king. And that's Mm. my favorite mug of all time. That'll be my claim to fame. I scared Stephen (laughs) King. I mean, how scary do you have to be if you scared Stephen King? So that's (laughs) pretty scary. I think. (laughs) Right. Let's talk a little bit about, um, your process and, and talk about the, so when you finally did shift into, okay, um, you had to shelve a couple yeah. early ideas and then 
when when you finally got into the groove on dark roads, yeah. talk about um, how you're incorporating research and then kind of really cranking it up to get into flow state to get to a place mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, this is it. I'm I'm there. What's your most kind of yeah? Prolific? And that's a hard balance to find. And I think it's a little bit different for each writer and. Um, I don't have a typical pattern for each book. I think sometimes it's just whatever gets that book going, but you do have to do a little bit because, but you can't do so much that you get lost in the research. So one of the reasons like for in dark roads, I did a prologue, which um, Mm -hmm. was one of the, it took me so long to do that prologue, but it's Mm. people really respond to it. So I'd say it was time well spent. Um, But the reason I did that was to get the entire history of this area out in a way that didn't info dump later. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of writers can fall into that trap of we found really cool, interesting information. So now we're just going to have our characters recite it all in this scene. I do a bit of both. I tend to research as I go along. I research enough in the beginning that I can probably get like a structure going, you know, a certain mm-hmm. framework. And then I will stop. And, and sometimes I'll just... Um, flesh out a scene and I'll wait until I have a reason to talk to my police guy and I'll have a few things I want to ask him at once. So I won't, you know, just be asking uh, little things here and there. Well, wait, talk, talk about the, just, can I pause you for a second? Yeah. When you say oh, I talked to my police guy, you're not talking about the character in the novel. You're talking about an actual yes, I uh, have a, source yeah, that you, yeah. yeah. So I have a few RCMP people. I, one guy is a retired sergeant. He's really handy. Um, he worked a lot of old cases and retired people generally like have a little bit more time and they like to chat <laughs> Yeah, and they like the process. You know, honestly, it was harder when I first started because, uh, although he, he's still a fan, the very first cop that ever helped me, I walked into the police station locally and I was like, Hey, so I'm writing this book and, you know, and I was new, I did never even written a book. So they're like, mm. why should I, everyone says they're writing a book, right? Like, why should I help you? But he was very friendly. And, but I remember just my face being burning hot and I was sitting there trying to describe like, okay, so like, would the body be stiff when you're trying to push it down? Like, now do you have to like bend the arms? And I was like, <laughs> I was, I was so embarrassed. And I remember at one point he paused and he looked at me, did you, what did you say you're writing this for? and i was like oh god (laughs) so would the smell happen and yeah it was awkward but he ended up being a big fan he still comes out to my signing so that's a little trick but now um you know i've had a few different people that were able to help me over the times there's a friend of my my husband's right now and um he's an rcmp officer and he works in different areas but he's usually able to hook me up with what i need to know and it's great Hmm. when you have a source that you can easily contact i've had different people over the time over the years and they say they're going to call you on friday or you're going to call them and that you can't find them and and your writing just screeches to a halt because you can't Hmm. do anything unless you have that and so to have somebody you can text and say really random things like is this proper wording or would this go on the left side or the right side it's Mm -hmm. it's so helpful very cool so it takes a while to work those contacts but when you have them you got to love on them because they're really important Gotcha. Gotcha. The hardest one I ever had was when I wrote a prison book, which was that night because corrections Canada is very closed mouthed. I had to sign so many documents and Hmm. I had to promise to change names of things. And I had to be so careful of what I did and what I said. I had to change the name of the prisons. I had to make it clear Hmm. that I wasn't basing it on any particular prison. I had to be super careful about any of that. They Hmm. weren't keen on me using their names and credit or anything. So they were very, they were the hardest nut to crack. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, uh, if you could uh, continue on your process, I apologize for interrupting you about your no, contacts okay. and resources, uh, working your contacts and resources, because that is a pretty fascinating piece. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if you could talk just um, a little bit more about your uh, process right, and my- just how you get how you get the words onto the page. Right. Well, any given da- day, that's uh, probably different. It's kind of like whatever it takes to get you there. Um, life has changed since I've had a child. So I think one of the things is I haven't been able to be too married to a particular uh, direction. It just has mm-hmm. to be whatever can help me that day. It changes by month. Like, what is it going to take for me to get words out today? First drafts are always the hardest for me. I really struggle with focus, I think is a big part of that because you have to go to such a big mental place to do that. It's always, of course, much easier to listen to writer podcasts and hear what you're, <laughs> who you're talking to does rather than do it myself. So, but initially now I don't plot intensely ahead of time that has caused problems for me. My editor taught me this really interesting way uh, of thinking about it. When I'm trying to plot too hard and I'm trying to work towards a particular ending, she'll say, don't make the tail wag the dog. Hmm. And so I do a lot more front work now. I work really hard on trying to get my premise up and running. And I find if I can get my first 50 to 100 pages together and exciting and working, the rest will generally flow off me. So I tend to do a little bit forwards. Then I'll stop and research and plot a little bit more. Then I'll go forward more. So it's kind of like I have a loose framework in my head. I don't, couldn't tell you what's going to happen that last half or the ending. I kind of just know the who, what, when, and what's going to be instigating the problem I'm going to put my people through. And then I'll work it out. I'll be like, okay, so I need some events for the next whatever pages. And mm-hmm. that sort of seems to work for me rather than I could, I've done that where I've spent two months, um, plotting out like every chapter scene and then you actually write it and it sucks what sounds really (laughs) great in a synopsis does not necessarily hold once you start writing it Mm. or will it carry for a whole book you know dark roads was initially conceived as a woman hitchhiking in the you know in the desire to find her sister's killer well Uh you can't have 400 pages of a girl hitchhiking that book fell apart really fast because it gets really boring. <laughs> it's like, oh no, it's not this guy. Let me get in this car. <laughs> not him either. <laughs> so, you know, so I find that it, for me, it's like those first 50 to 100 pages are like really necessary for me. And then I tend to mm. write, I write forward messy and then I go back and clean up. And then I write forward messy and I go back and clean up. It's kind of a little bit forward, two steps back, forward, two steps back. Mm. And for each day, it's kind of like whatever I can do that day. I'm typically more energized in the morning, but that doesn't, you know, with a kid, if she's had a rough night, that means I've had a rough night. So yeah. I really just kind of do what I can every day and try not to stress myself out. I'm trying mm. not to put that tension that a lot of genre writers 
feel, which is a book a year, a book a year, a book a year. It doesn't work for me. All good advice. Um, yeah, well, I know we kind of kind of wrap it up here. I'll ask you our uh, token final question. If you could have dinner with any author from any era mm. at your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you pick and where would you take them? All expenses paid, of course. All expenses paid. That's hard. You know, I think I would actually probably pick a writer, not a famous writer. I think I would probably pick a writer who's trying to get somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. like maybe one that's in the beginning stages that would really be like, holy crap, I'm sitting at this restaurant. I think it's more interesting to inspire someone else's dreams. So I'm not sure. Um, I would probably do like a, I don't know, some sort of contest or something and, you know, just talk to that person. And then my favorite restaurant in the entire world is my favorite hotel in the entire world, which is mm. the Hotel Valley Ho in Scottsdale, Arizona. They're mm. near the Poison Pen Bookstore, which does a ton of author events. So if you mention that hotel to most authors, they know it. It's very, it's mid-century cool. modern, old Hollywood. Mm. So I would take them there to that restaurant and I'd be, I would just be like, okay, so here's a glimpse into what you can do if you just stay the path. Yeah, yeah, I like it. But yeah, so if you want to do if you want to do it in real life, talk to me and we'll we'll that <laughs> yeah, cool. aspiring that and honestly, and then that way I get to have the <laughs> dinner because if I'm eat, sitting there with Stephen King, I guarantee you I'm not eating. So when I like my food, so I'm gonna pick somebody that I don't mind shoving my face full of food while I'm talking oh, there you to go. them. Do it. It's all about lowering your. One of my listeners, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Well. Um. I want to wrap up with your advice to your fellow scribes. Quick aside, best Hollywood uh, memoir? Oh, gosh. I really like Rob Lowe's. Ah. He was good. Um, His first one. And I think that's because he really touches on my history, you know, who the outsiders and St. Elmo's mm, fire. Mm. I'm 48. So that generation was right there. And so I really like reading about people or movies I've seen, you know, the behind yeah. the, and because he was in so many of them, it's not like we just know him from one aspect. Rob Lowe was part of our culture forever. So that was, yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, I'm going to point at all the places uh, linked to ChevyStevens.com. You are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You're everywhere. Um, Is there anywhere else you want to connect? I'm on TikTok, but I have like maybe five videos. So I don't think that counts yet. I mostly just lurk and watch everyone else's. Interesting. You're actually, you may be the first author that's mentioned their TikTok, which is, I don't know if it's beginning to trend. I guess we'll see. It's, uh, it's an, I like TikTok and I can see how it's a really cool medium. And I really love how it has inspired so many different people. I think it's removed to the gatekeepers of mm. who decides what's funny or not. Like yeah. these people don't have to go stand up. So they can be funny on their own channels. So sure. I really appreciate that. But being a person who hates having to shower and put on makeup most days, it's, it's the nemesis. Like I'd very much rather do what you're doing, which is voice stuff. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, if you want to start a podcast, let me know. I will. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, just your kind of wrap up for just, uh, I know you've put some advice out there to, to aspiring authors, but yeah. What, uh, what would you recommend to authors who are maybe having a tough time right now? Well, it is, you know, it is tough. I have writers who are published uh, friends and it it is tough. I think, um, there is no guarantee of success. And even when you have had success, you got to maintain the success. Like it's not easy. I'm not saying it's not worth it, but you really, but 
you got to have the dream because it's actually the dream that carries you through. So I think there's two parts. The part of you needs to really have that passionate dream. And then the other part of you has to be okay with having, uh, with doing it because of the love of the experience, the love of writing, the love of creating, the love of the daydream, all of that. And then the other thing is you have to, I think you have to be really humble and really open to feedback. You have to really be willing to learn. The writers that seem very locked into how it has to be are the ones that I think are probably going to struggle the most. Passionate dream, love of the process, the process, craft and of, of the process and humility. I mean, all important things because. So uh, basically you got to be Canadian, I think. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> you do. A boat, you have to be a boat. A boot. A boot. A. It's the process, eh? <laughs> and Canadian. Yeah. Perfect. All right, listeners. Uh, I hope I hope that's uh, helpful to you. If you're not Canadian, I apologize. <laughs> good luck. And uh, good luck with that. Um, really appreciate your time and you. uh, congratulations you. on on the successes of your latest. I know you're in the throes of another book right now. And uh, hopefully yeah. that's going well for you. But you. Um, we wish you all the best and come back again and uh, wrap with us yeah. in the future. And thank you for having me. I feel like I was talking to celebrity. I saw that you were listed the top 20 podcaster writers. So that's oh, cool. Oh, please. But hey, yes, everyone wants you. to be a podcaster. Even, you know, <laughs> I even want to be. So kudos to okay. you. You have well, some really big, you get some really good people. And I, I like your questions. Thank it's you. very, it's excellent. I like your podcast a lot. Thank you so much. It's only taken me six years. Right. Like everything, here, so. just overnight success. <laughs> overnight success. <laughs> yeah. um, Chevy, have a wonderful uh, day. And Thank hopefully you. we will uh, hear from you again. Sure. Anytime. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.